<laughs> I, yeah, no, this has been... That's why we're all so when I started doing Romans, um, this, this was one of the things that I wanted, not necessarily as long as it has, but uh, I wanted it to be something where we really took our time and we dug in and um, kind of chewed on some things. You know, because yeah. you, you can argue that Romans is Paul's most important letter. It's his kind of magnum opus type of a you know, letter, theologically speaking. Um, and, uh, you know, and so it, it, it's, it's worth taking the time to go through. Um, it, along with Galatians, are probably the two letters that shape the Lutherans the most. Um, you know, I mean, the whole scriptures, but these are, these are letters that we go back to over and over and over again. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I, I'm glad that we've, we've done this, and uh, I'll be glad to be done. Um, but the fact of the matter is, it ain't going to happen this summer. <laughs> um, and I am, uh, I am going to be teaching confirmation uh, starting in September. So um, I actually, so today's the 6th, and we've got our lesson today. Um, I'll be back next week with you, and uh, we'll see how far we get. Um, and then the week after that, that'll be the 20th, I want to spend some time with the little children, and uh, I want to do like a story time with pastor type of thing in, the, uh, uh, in this time. So we won't have class on the 20th because I'll be with them. The 27th, we have a confirmation meeting. In the past, I have skipped that meeting in order to teach, but I, I kind of want to be in there because I'm going to be teaching that first section, and I want to... Uh, I, there, there's some things I want the parents to do, and I would like to talk with them directly about that. So we have this week, next week. The next two weeks will be off. You're welcome to sit for story time with Pastor. You know, you're welcome to come to the, uh, the confirmation meeting, you know, as long as you're not too disruptive. Um, but uh, um, we'll, we'll, we'll finish up this week and next week. And then I think I'm back in November. And uh, at that point, uh, I'm quite confident we will uh, we'll finish this up, if not this year, early into uh, 2024. Um, I don't know if you've noticed as we've gotten past chapter 9 and the letter has become more instructional, it kind of moves a little bit faster. You know, because some of this doesn't require a lot of comment. It doesn't require a lot of digging into. It says what it says and it means what it says and you know, it, it's, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. The theological stuff at the beginning, there's a lot of, uh, not that this part isn't theological too, but the really the digging into justification um, yeah, I think as Christians, that's that's our bread and butter. That's that's our uh, you know we need to stand on that foundation, and that then leads into you know the good works and the the behaviors that we can all look at and say yeah that well, that makes sense you know according to God's word that makes sense. So let's pray and we'll uh, see if we finish chapter thirteen today. Did you turn your microphone? Uh, I did. Do you want me to pause it? No. Oh, thanks. I don't know why anybody would think I would have any kind of problems with technology and recording and microphones. Yeah, no kidding. It, I, so I was here last night for Rejoicing Spirits. I used my microphone last night for Rejoicing Spirits. 
you know, there were spots where I stood that were like in front of the speaker where I was getting some feedback. That makes sense. I kind of got out of the way. It was okay. And I have no idea what happened this morning. Between last night and this morning, all of a sudden, this big, big, big feedback. I don't know. Um, so hopefully, uh, hopefully there are some people who know the system because the handheld works, but it just doesn't feel the same. You know, when I was a kid uh, growing up uh, in Trinity Lutheran Church in Onekama, Michigan, where I was baptized, I remember the pastor was very avant-garde with his technology. And I think my pastor in Manistee had one of these too. It was a, a wired microphone, but it was on a lanyard. And he wore it around, you know, so he could kind of walk around a little bit. But he still had the wire that was trailing around and it just kind of, it was a microphone that just hung right there you know, on his chest and competed with his cross for that, uh, that space. But uh, um, yeah, technology. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here today and we pray, Lord, that you would bless your word and we pray that you would help us to, to continue to grow in the scriptures. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so not last week, but uh, two weeks ago. Is there anything that uh, anything comes to mind? Or did the uh, wonderful picnic from last week drive all thoughts of anything theological <laughs> away? It was a good picnic. All right. So Romans 13, 11 through 14. Paul writes, Besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. Because now our salvation is near, nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So he starts out he, um, this, this paragraph, he says, you know the time. Um, when you hear the word time in the New Testament, there are two words that get translated time. One of them is chronos, and uh, you might be kind of familiar. Um, sometimes people being fancy will call this instrument a chronometer, right? Measures time. Um, and uh, uh, you know, so that type of time is just seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and years and all of that you know, type of stuff, that measurement type of time. So that's chronos, and then the other word is kairos. And uh, um, kairos uh, means like the right time. They can be interchangeable, you know, if I'm gonna be really completely transparent about that, but uh, um, when we hear the word kairos, usually we think about it's the right time. It's the appointed time. It's the time it's supposed to happen. It's like the moment. Um, yeah, uh, except it has a it has a sense of um, purpose connected to it. Yeah. You know, so I, I I think of moments, and we can think about that. And, well, yeah, it works in the past too, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah it, it, it's the right. It's the but it's that sense of something important about it. It's not just... Yeah, it's the moment rather than a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. 
you know, and so you know the time. Things have happened. Things have taken place that let us know that the time is, is now. And to get back at what we've talked about through the whole thing, when we, when we hear, you know the time, this ties back to chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. Everything in the end of the book here is, is driven by that statement. What's the time? It's the time in which we're living in the mercies of God. We know his salvation. Christ has come. We are justified. We are living in this right relationship with God. We know the time, and it's already our for you to, to wake up from sleep. So the time is the time of the kingdom. You know, Jesus comes, he says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God uh, has come. Things have changed. You know, and so things are different now. Uh, in, in fact, that has invaded our lives. If you remember in Romans chapter 6, those first three verses, um, we talk about this with baptism. I had a baptism here yesterday, baptized a little boy named Henry. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we talk about what baptism does, and there's some pretty powerful and important things. Paul writes in chapter 6, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? No way, right? Um, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Things have changed. Not only has Christ come, that salvation has come into your life through baptism, through the preaching of the word. And so, you know, do we continue to sin so that grace may abound? No, no, the situation has changed. You know, we've died to sin. We do not live in it anymore. We're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into his death. You know, and so now we live in, in newness of life in light of that. And uh, um, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Um, your, phone, your phone Bible is, is perfectly sufficient. Mark has 16 chapters, and uh, in these last chapters, I think starting at chapter 10. Bless you. Thank you. Starting at chapter 11 is the, uh, the last week of Jesus' life. And so this is all teaching that's done shortly before um, Jesus is crucified. This is an extended uh, talk about the end, about the time that is coming. And I want you to notice in uh, um, chapter 13, you know, there's a lot of talk about what that time is going to be like and what it's going to mean, but I want you to look specifically at verses 33 through 37. Jesus says, watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming the time being the day that he returns. Uh, it's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, 
whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowning or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes, suddenly he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Um, so this idea that the time has come, pay attention, you know, it's, that's not specific to Paul. I mean, it's, Jesus is talking about this here, this idea that uh, um, there's something about this world that tempts us to sleep. I don't mean physical sleep, although physical sleep is a good thing, right? Right? You ever see those things that, you know, like biohacking? You know what I'm talking about? You know, so you know, there are people who are like, if you do this, this activity, it's going to, you know, really boost your mental power or whatever. I saw a good one for that this morning. It says, when it gets dark, you lay down in a comfortable place. Close your eyes for seven to eight hours. <laughs> About the time that it's getting light, you're going to feel refreshed, and then you can get up. That's their biohack. It, it's true. Innovative. Very innovative, yes. <clears throat> you know, but uh, the, this idea that the world lulls us to sleep, it lulls us to not pay attention, it, it lulls us to not listen to God's word. You know, that's what the parables that we talked about the last few weeks in church, you know, that the word is being corrupted or is being taken away. Um, the, the time has come, and that means that, you know, this alertness is part of dealing with the temptations of the world. Um, so you know the time that it is already the hour for you from sleep to be awakened, is how I would translate that. It's not very good English, though, is it? It's kind of awkward. Um, but it captures what's missing um, in the uh, uh, Christian Standard Bible translation that I'm using here. Um, the hour for you to wake up from sleep. Who's causing what there? The hour for you to wake up. It kind of feels like it's time for you to get yourself out of bed, right? If you read it the way that I've translated, it is already the hour for you from sleep to be awakened it has a different feel to it. It means that somebody else is intervening in your life. You know, um, for a lot of years as my kids have grown up, you know, I've encouraged them to set alarms, but I have, uh, I have functioned as a backup alarm for them <laughs> off and on, right? You know, that, you know, I haven't seen Lucy yet this morning. Have you? No. Oh, boy. Uh, you know, better go. You know, and, and it's not just Lucy. It's been really all of them at some point or another. Well, you know, when, when you're asleep, you're really not capable of waking yourself up. Right. I mean, in general. Right. Something happens. It may be the sun coming up. It may just be that your body has had its fill of sleep. But... Getting out of bed, now that's a, that's a decision you make. That's true. Waking up is not. Sometimes we wake up and we don't want to, and it's not even a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's time to be awakened. And what awakens us? It's the Spirit. Working through the Word. Um, you know, it's a, it's a passive infinitive verb. Um, you know, and so 
we remember that this life of faith that we have, it's about what God is doing in us, and then that impacts what we're doing when we go about our, our day. So the image of, of being lulled to sleep, it's important because it's gonna help us to, to think about how we live when we're tempted um, by life in this world. Um, you and I actually mentioned this quote earlier. Um, Marx used to say, or he wrote in, I think it was in Das Kapital, um, religion is the opiate of the masses. Um, I've actually come to conclude that, you know, television is the opiate of the masses. But uh, go to a nursing home sometime. Seriously. They will, you know, a lot of times they just park people in front of the TVs and they just sit there and stare at it. It's, it's a little bit creepy. Um, it, you know, Marx meant religion like Christianity. You know, but when we think about, you know, what anesthetizes us to the world, um, what, what religions might anesthetize us to the things of God? You're right where I'm, right where I'm heading, so things like money. What else? What are the things that we worship? Falsely. Sex. Sex, okay, yeah. Sex, Sex drugs, and rock and roll. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> that's pretty much summer, so that's the summary. Yeah, that's pretty much cover summary everything. It's, it's, it's a chunk of it. There's more. Yeah. There's more? Sure. I think there's also hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, yeah. Which often flows from a, a pride, you know, that, that's inward, that, you know, I, I've got to look the right way, even if I'm not the right way. Politics. Politics can be a very important religion for us. Power. Power. Those two are connected, right? Yeah. Unhealthy competition. And I think that that gets connected to pride as well. Oh, yeah. Because I have to be the best. Yes. Yeah? Mm hmm and I mentioned, I think, that what I was familiar with in that quotation was the, back in the, like the 70s was, was opium is now the religion of the masses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's an element of that even still today. Oh, it's still there. You know, it's just, it was, it was more accepted then. It was more like, this is what everybody does, you know. Yeah. But still, I mean, alcohol is, is just as serious as a lot of well, but but there's a lot of opiate problems going on yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, it, back then it was opium was people didn't smoke opium, you know. Yeah. It was the standing for drugs in general. Sure. Yeah. Um, notoriety, good and evil. Say that again. Notoriety, good okay. and evil. Okay. Yeah, kind of. Well, maybe you remember your well, Iftikhar is probably not old enough to remember um, a show called Fame. Remember? I think it was a, a Broadway musical too, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, um, that idea of being famous, and I think that that kind of ties to pride as well. I was thinking of mass shooters. Mm. Yeah. Well, that, that's a fame thing. That's a fame thing too, right? You know, and a pride thing. I'm better than these people. Yeah. So there are a lot of things out there in, in this world that can be tempting to us 
uh, as Christians, I don't think that, I really hope that none of us are being tempted to shoot up schools or anything like that, violence type of thing. Um, but, um, but there are things that do tempt us to kind of fix our hearts on this life and to be really, really comfortable with this life that kind of lulls us to sleep in terms of Jesus is coming again. And, and we live in light of his promise that he is going to come and he's going to take us to live with him. He has done things in our lives that make us to be different people. You know, should we not then live in light of what he has done for us? And the answer is we should live in light of what he has done. And he, he goes on and he says, this is one of my favorite lines from the whole Bible. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. which is kind of one of those chronological time type of things, you know, kind of every moment's closer to the end, right? Whether it's the end where we take our last breath or the end when he comes again, our salvation is nearer than when we first came to faith. But aren't we saved right now? Yeah, yeah we are, we are. We live in a time where we are saved, but uh, we're still facing all the problems of the world, and it's not like we've been completely saved from all the troubles and the struggles and the trials. And we often talk of this as being uh, saved now, but not yet. You know, it, it's another one of those things like being a saint and sinner at the same time. It makes me think of living in a, living in a parallel world. Okay, you go know, ahead. I mean, you're living in both saved and still sinning. Yeah. So, like what we talked about when we talked about being saints and sinners at the same time, those statements, they contradict each other, right. being a saint and being a sinner. And yet they're both true of us. In the same way that it is true to say that Jesus is God and man. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's not like the Greeks where he's 50% this and 50% that. No, he's completely God and he's completely human. We are completely sinful and we are completely saints. You know, and we live in that reality. And so as saints, that salvation is completely and fully ours. And yet as sinners, we continue to live in a world where we struggle and we are tempted and we sin and we do things uh, that, that contradict uh, God's will for us. And there's a great hymn that, uh, that expresses this. You can look this up later. Um, uh, and if you, uh, if you go to YouTube and you type in LSB, it's on the page, LSB 508, um, it, it will show up there somewhere. Uh, but it's, uh, the day is surely drawing near. Great hymn, great old hymn. Um, and uh, one of the things that uh, I hope that we can kind of embrace is that instead of the last day being a matter of fear and dread, um, it can be something that, that urges us to live in the faith. Because as we, we, we look ahead to God keeping his promises. Ed, you were gonna say something, I think. Just going back to things that tie us to this life, to this earth. Yeah. Some of them are sort of hard to talk about. Yeah. Some of them, like family, mm -hmm. you know, and Yet Luther, in, in, 
and a mighty fortress goes directly at that. He can take our children, yeah. our spouse, yeah. and, and, and that still doesn't defeat us. Yeah. So it's not like we shouldn't care about it. <laughs> right. But we have to keep it in perspective. Yeah. Um, the, uh, oh, what was his name? Keith Green. Um, he, he was a contemporary Christian singer. I think he died in the early 80s. Does that sound right? Anybody know? Um, plane crash, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> very talented guy. Uh, he started playing piano when he was like five. Um, and he, he did some really radical things in terms of trying to live out the faith. And, you know, but he, uh, and there are things that I think he got wrong, but there are other things that he definitely got right. Um, and uh, he wrote this song called I Pledge My Head to Heaven. And it's, it, you know, so he's talking about himself in his own life. You know, I pledge my, my head to heaven. My, my, my body, myself, you know, I, I pledge myself to live for God. And then he goes on, I pledge my wife to heaven. I trust my wife into God's hands. I pledge my son. Those are hard. It is hard uh, to, uh, to trust ourselves into God's hands. And I think it's even harder to trust those we love into God's hands. I had an interesting conversation this week with somebody just talking about mortality. You know, the reality is we all will die. And I uh, was talking about, you know, worrying about what that will do to my family. And, you know, now, I think that we've made some really good choices in terms of like insurance and you know saving things you know and, and all of those good types of earthly plans so that that part of their life is taken care of. I'm not worried about that. In fact, I'd probably be better off financially if I die. Um, but uh, um, you know that will leave a hole in their lives. You know if if I if and when I die. You know, and, and the person was asking, so why are you, why are you worried about that? You know, because I think that he was thinking that I was saying more in terms of them, you know, not having what they need or, or me not being there to take care of them. You know, I just think they're going to be really, really sad. You know, and, you know, I think it's a blessed place to be, right? It's better than, you know, thank God he's dead. There is no death. Right. It's, no, it's not if and when. Yeah, it's when. Yeah. yeah. No, the if was more about the timing than the... Uh, <laughs> the day is surely drawing near, but hopefully not too near yet. <laughs> um, <clears throat> he goes on, he says, the night is far gone, but the day draws near. Just always this impending, it's coming. Um, I, I don't know. I, it is hard to live each day in light of that. You know, because you just get used to, I get up and I do my work and, you know, these are the things I do. And it, it, it's not always there in the forefront of our minds. Um, I think that this is one of the reasons that uh, having something like a columbarium is a good thing for churches. Um, even better in some ways. Um, having a cemetery where you look out the window 
and there are all your former members. Because there is this reminder of an end and a day that's coming near. Um, some of you have been to Europe, right? And, and you've seen the churches. And did you notice that they have people buried in the churches? What's and the a difference? Grave, a graveyard is on church property. Oh. And a cemetery is not. Yeah. Well, I learned something then. There. That's what I learned in my tracks. Okay. Yeah. In, in the uh, Aubrey Matron series, the, the naval books, uh, O'Brien. No. Oh, okay. Doctor and the, you know, the Far Side of the World was one movie that was made from something. Okay. Wonderful set of books. Uh, not set out with great moral purpose, but just good, you know. Good stories. Historical fiction. Okay. But one of the things they mention is that they prefer being on British ships because uh, they bury their dead in the sea. Mm. Uh, apparently, the French buried their dead in the ballast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> well, that's what you have. It, 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 it could be water or some sort of junk that you keep in the bottom of the boat that's heavy so the boat doesn't fall. Oh, so you said it keeps it up Yeah. <laughs> Nobody, I don't think anybody really wanted to go down there. No. <laughs> no, when my dad was uh, in the Navy um, uh, during the Vietnam War, um, he said that uh, there was a period of time where they, uh, there had been an accident on the ship and some people had been killed in an explosion and uh, they had the bodies in the refrigerator in the kitchen. Oh. And he's like, I did not eat well that night. <laughs> <laughs> that was a guinea pig once. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the idea of, of remembering uh, our death, remembering that Jesus is coming again, remembering the victory that we have, I think it's really important for us as we live through this life. And, uh, and he says, let us take off the works of darkness and put on or dress in um, the armor or the weapons of light. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, you know, put on the, uh, the, uh, the weapons of light or the armor of light, made me think of Ephesians chapter 6, put on the full armor of God, right? Same author, um, but the idea is uh, expanded upon a bit in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, thinking about what are those gifts that God gives to us to protect us. Um, uh, again, in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it's shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from death, because Christ will shine on you. Same, same, same kind of concept, same kind of idea. The day is coming, wake up. And then let's take a closer look at the um, Ephesians chapter six. 
the full armor of God. So we pick it up at verse 10. It says, be, be strengthened by the Lord in his vast strength. So again, the foundation is what God has done. Um, <clears throat> put on the full armor of God uh, so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Please pause on that for a moment. Are people our enemy? They are not. They are not. And that's important for us to remember. You know, some of them may be aligned with our enemy, but people are not our enemy. There are people who are deceived. There are people who are enthralled, but they are not our enemy. And we happen to have light for the darkness. We happen to have healing for disease. We happen to have life in the face of death. And that's important for us as we, we think through how we live this life. And he says, because of these spiritual forces that are at work against us, against God, uh, he says, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and have prepared everything to take your stand. Now, I don't know about you, but when I've read this in the past and when I I see at Christian bookstores a lot of times, it's like, uh, you know, they're there and they're prepared for battle. It means you're going to be on the front line. That's not what this text actually uh, describes. The person that this is describing is the person that's left on the wall to watch for the oncoming army. But don't you think in some way we all kind of are in our own little circle? Watching on the wall or on the front lines? I mean, we're on the front line. There, there comes a point where the enemy is against the gates. Right. And, you know, it's not saying that you're not going to fight. But when you look at the armor and when you look at particularly the sword, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of the Lord of the Rings, and I think of uh, uh, Aragorn's sword, Narsil, you know, this is long, oh yeah, two-handed. Mm. The sword that it's talking about is like this. It, it's, a, it's a gladius. In fact, Romans didn't generally use swords, except in final defense. They used a, a pilus, it's kind of like a spear. That was one of their big advantages, along with the phalanx. Uh, you know, that they brought to war. And, uh, and so this is, this is the person that's standing and saying, the enemy is at the gate, the enemy is at the gate. And so what do you do when you are the last defense? And, you know, the victory's been won. We, we live in that confidence. And, and he speaks specifically uh, about different pieces of armor, that when we face these enemies, these spiritual enemies in our lives that uh, um, God has given to us. And by the way, um, whose armor is it? It's God's armor. Yeah, it makes me think a little bit of um, when King David tried to put his armor on David before he fought Goliath. You know, it's, it's different because that armor didn't work for, uh, for David, but uh, um, you know, we're not, we're not these great warriors that have kitted ourselves out with all of the best equipment. And God's like, you know, here, you need this. 
Um, he starts out with a belt of truth, and it always gets translated around your waist. It's around your loins. I think that this is, uh, I think it's talking about spiritual temptation or, or sexual temptation. Um, you know, so there's a belt of truth around your loins. There's uh, righteousness, like uh, armor on your chest. You know, we've talked a lot about righteousness. You know, it's protecting your heart, right? Um, and uh, your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. You know, uh, if you've walked barefoot, you know that sandals can be a big improvement in terms of your confidence, in terms of your walking. I'd say boots are even better. Yeah. Um, take up the shield of faith uh, in which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Um, I, for the longest time, I thought of like these little round shields, you know. My, my ancestors, some of them at least, are probably Vikings, so, you know, kind of that. That's not what the Romans carried. They carried shields that were about as tall as a person, and they were a wood frame, and probably about so wide, and often they were covered in leather, and before they would go into combat, um, if they knew that they were gonna be facing flames, they would soak them. You know, if they're gonna be shot at with, uh, with flaming arrows, wet leather is a good deterrent for that fire to keep the fire from spreading. These dudes had to have been really strong. I'm just yeah. thinking about how heavy that, all this stuff would be. Yeah. You know, I, I was talking with my brother one time when he was stationed in Iraq, and he said that they carried regularly like 80 pounds of gear. Oh yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, you know, 120 degrees in Iraq, and you know, you got eight, an extra 80 pounds of stuff. Um, so you've got this, this, this shield of faith that, that protects you from you know, flaming arrows of the evil one. I think we can talk about that being temptation. Um, uh, the, the helmet of salvation. Protect your head, protect your thinking. You know, that you know, I am someone who is saved. I'm living in light of what Christ has done for me. Um, and, uh, uh, and then it says to uh, uh, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So you do, have a, you do have a sword, it's a short sword, it's a gladius, um, and it's the word of God, and we speak that word. And then, of course, we pray at all times in the spirit with every request and stay alert with all perseverance. Get that, stay alert. Um, it, it's in there too, uh, with intercessions for all the saints. So part of staying alert is praying. It's not going out and fighting it's calling on the one who can actually win the victory oh yeah yeah you know i don't don't think that i'm advocating for doing nothing i think that there are important things that we do in life for the benefit of our neighbor um but at the same time we don't win the victory on our power it's it's what god has done for us so um more stuff about this light and, and uh, you know, what, what God is doing um, as, as the end comes. It says that the eye is the lamp. Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is the darkness? You know, so there's this light and darkness thing that, that Jesus plays with here. Um, Luke 11 
Uh, same thing, your eye is healthy, your whole body be full of light. Take care then that the light in which you, that the light in you is not darkness. Can you kind of wrap your mind around the idea that we've been, somebody has been so deceived that they think that they're in the light, but they're actually in darkness? You know, um, uh, Plato's favorite, or famous story, The Cave, that, that idea that the person comes out, sees the light, comes back to tell everybody, and they think he's insane. You know, um, there are false lights in the world. Um, John 1, uh, in him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the, the darkness has not overcome it. A lot of, um, a lot of translations sometimes put has not understood it. It can be translated both ways. I like overcome it. Um, uh, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. I think this light-darkness dichotomy is something that's really important when we read through the New Testament. John 3, this is judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But everyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished in God. Um, again, in John 8, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Everyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And then John 12, I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. So this, this idea that is here in verse 12, the night is nearly over, the day is near, so let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. It's really connected to all kinds of things that Jesus talked about in his ministry too. So when we talk about the, uh, is it the deeds of light? The armor of light, um, it has everything to do with who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And what's implied here is that we're no longer going to willfully engage in sin. Did I just say that you're not going to sin? Yeah. No. But there's a difference between sinning and willfully sinning. Willfully in the sense of, I don't care what God's word says about this. I'm going to do it anyhow. It's what I want. It's intentional. I want to be careful with the word intentional. Because I think sometimes as, uh, as sinful beings, we can be very intentional with our sin. Um... I think it's those long patterns of refusing to even acknowledge that what we've done is yeah. Sin. I think it's uh, uh, I think that's like the way we are separating ourselves from from God, or like from the Spirit. Yeah. That I don't care. I'm gonna do what I want to do, no matter what. Yeah. You just separate yourself uh, from God. Yeah. Because I do think that in our broken condition, you know, as sinners, there are times that we do things that are wrong, and we know that they're wrong, and we do them. Anyway. Anyway, and that's. I have a confession. I oftentimes will go, okay, I, I read the gossip. Mm, yeah. And I go, <laughs> yeah. And justify it somehow. But yeah. 
But but talking about some But then you come back at that and you're like, yeah. 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 And and I think that that's part of the trick. Um, it does make me in check a little bit more just to know that I do do that sometimes and Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it will stop me and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I find there's just a lot of things that will seem right at the time. Hmm. And I don't mean it in terms of knowledge that you, oh, then I found out that this was big. It's not that. It's like gluttony sounds great when you're ready to talk Yes, it you does. Know, I mean, you think, well, I have to eat. Well, when should I stop? Well, I'm still hungry, I guess. And then all of a sudden it's like, I feel full. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's it. But it happens in much more, much deeper deeper ways than that. Yeah, and so there's part of it that almost feels like animal instinct. You know, I'm just doing, I'm just, you know, brr, yeah. you know. But there's another part of it that as the people of God, who have heard God's word, and God's word is in our hearts, that as we go about it, that, I don't know, for me anyhow, there are a lot of times I go, shouldn't have done that. And I think, that, I think that that's important. I think that's an important part of the process. Because if you get to the point where it's not, I shouldn't have done that, then maybe, maybe we, we've given up something that we really needed to hold on to. That we've stepped yeah. into darkness and stepped out of the light. I, I, I often find there's, it's not exactly a, a night and day thing, you know, and, and, and that interface is of, very good time for prayer. Yeah. Like, Lord, next time, help me see this ahead of time. You yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, for, forgive me. Yeah. yeah. And I think that we live in a confidence in that forgiveness too. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole sin boldly thing. You know, that we like to uh, quote as as Lutherans. Um, there, there's a truth in that, in, in that we are not so wrapped up with, uh, am I doing the right thing, am I doing the wrong thing, I'm just going to try to do what I hope is right, and then if I look it back and I messed it up, I'm going to live in the confidence of Christ's salvation. You know, and yeah. that's actually going to be my, my confidence even if I did get it right. But we don't never want to get to the point where we look at things that God called sin and say, eh, no big deal. Yeah, I think, I think guilt and confession are some of the most important parts of a Christian's life. Yeah. And I feel like when we watch the news and everything now, what we're losing in society is the feeling of guilt. Like you just said, I think people just don't, they don't realize that they did wrong or they don't care anymore. <laughs> I kind of start to wonder if, um, as a society, we've drifted so far from God's Word that it no longer informs us. Right. You know? You know, so we, we have uh, a natural sense of what's right and wrong. Well, it's also because of, like, in this world, in this worldly, uh, worldly atmosphere, the people who are successful or the people who say that they are successful and try to set an example of it, 
they never spoke of about guilt they never spoke about confession they spoke about i was uh, i was zero from zero i become to hero i didn't care about anything i did my best i'm the best i lose that i lost that but i overcome it my struggle life they never ever ever confess about that they never ever say that well my heart was filled with guilt i made confession i come to jesus christ i surrender myself to him they never ever talk about that these are some of the moments in my life when i did not have any control but jesus christ took over and i let him the most important but i let him to do it i let god to took over and put me in autopilot mode yeah jay this is like in the bible right? it says like god hardens some people's hearts yes so is that also the you think I think God hardens people's hearts in the sense that um, people love sin more than they love <coughs> him. And sometimes God gives us what he want, what we want. And I think that that's the hardening of the heart. Poor old Pharaoh, I just felt he never got a good, you know, an even shape. God kept hardening his heart. <laughs> I don't want to do this before. <laughs> I'm not sure that he didn't want to. I mean, he was caught in, he got caught in the moment. But he never said, I am no longer God of Egypt. Well, that's true. But you know, he's hard and he's hard about for yeah. more specific acts than that. Yeah. 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 Yes. I think we get lulled by the New Testament itself. Having re been reading this Old Testament, the hammer that's hitting me is God needs business. Mm -hmm. We have Ananias and Sapphira and instructed for the lightning. But we, we don't get that in the New Testament. We get grace. Yeah, that's because the hammer stroke ultimately falls to Jesus, right? Right. Yes. You know, and, you know, and this I also think is one of the reasons it's important to reread the, the Old Testament is to remember, you know, God's wrath for what it is and to look at the cross and see what we have been saved from. Um, but that shouldn't lead us to complacency and it shouldn't lead us to willfulness in our sin. But I, I think if you only do the New Testament, you have more of a tendency to go. Maybe, although I think Paul, you know, so in Galatians, he talks about the people who are corrupting the gospel and, uh, and, and it, it says he wishes that they would cut themselves off and it's actually talking about circumcision and it's saying, I kind of wish that they would make their cut a little bit higher. <laughs> you know, you know, so there are, there are definitely, there's a few, there's places. Like no, not like the Old Testament, not like the Old Testament. So, you know, we, we don't want to get to the point where we just willfully engage in sin or idolatry or, or whatever it is. We always want our hearts to be soft so that we will, um, Feel that sense of guilt and then turn to the Lord in confession and, you know, and hear again his words of forgiveness so that we would live in that forgiveness. So uh, verse 13, um, <clears throat> that we would live as in the daytime decently, uh, that can be translated honorably, respectably, modestly even. Um, and, and, you know, and Paul, uh, Paul's basically saying, you know, why don't you have good moral conduct? Not carousing and not in carousing and drunkenness, 
You know, he's got these, these pairs of things. Uh, carousing uh, is like excessive feasting, um, gluttony, um, and, uh, and not in drunken celebrations, um, not in sexual immorality or licentiousness. Uh, sexual immorality is sometimes translated debauchery. Um, that can actually be translated also as wanton violence or self-abandon. It's the opposite of self-control, just giving yourselves over. Um, the word uh, licentiousness, it can also mean insolence. Um, and the ultimate insolence is believing that we know better than God. Uh, we are not to give ourselves over to our sexual desires. Hence, the catechism's emphasis on a chaste and decent life. And not in strife and jealousy. And he says, but put on or, or be clothed. This is an imperative verb. Uh, be clothed in the Lord Jesus Christ and do not make provision, do not give forethought, do not plan for the flesh to satisfy its, its desires, its lusts, and its cravings. You know, we're not planning for, how can I get that gluttony going? You know, so, all right. So in the last couple minutes here, one of the things that I would like to uh, have you think about, and I don't need an answer today, but uh, we're going to finish Romans, as I said, probably um, November, December type of time frame, maybe January, but I, I think, you know, I think that uh, um, 14, 15, and especially 16 will, will go pretty quickly. Where do you want to go after this? What do you want to study um, when we get done with Romans? You know, so you can noodle on that. If you've got any ideas, I'm glad to hear them. <laughs> you go from one of the hardest ones to the hardest. <laughs> and I'm not saying no. I'm just, you know, I'm like... <laughs> No, 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 I, yeah, no, it's not a... <coughs> so... Everybody write it down, I'll slip a paper and let you draw one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, give it some thought, and, uh, and next week when we get together, um, we'll, we'll mm -hmm. get into Romans 14. Um, and... Uh, It, it, we'll, we'll get at least through the, uh, the first, I think we'll get through at least the first four verses. <laughs> um, but uh, um, after that, we'll uh, um, you know, hopefully take a little bit of time at the end. Um, and there's, again, there's no rush because this isn't going to happen until New Year anyhow. So, so we actually finished this? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it doesn't always happen, does it? Of course, this is held over from two weeks ago, so. <laughs> All right, folks, thank you. And uh, next week we'll meet, and then um, two weeks off, and then you'll be back with, with Bob um, looking at the, uh, the appointed readings for each week. So, God's blessings.